0: Hey, everybody, welcome to another Bald Move Television, the officially unofficial podcast for all of television. I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. And we are rolling on with our all TV mandate uh, to talk about Amazon. We're not limited to just terrestrial broadcasts or cable boxes. We're on, Am- we're on the internet, we're on the, the World Wide Web because Amazon's got a new series, uh, Helmed by Matthew Weiner. All Matthew the things
1: De- by Matthew Weiner.
0: But Matthew the Wiener-Winer, uh, which we're we're big fans of his Mad Men. He mm-hmm. did the Mad Men Happy Hour for many years, had a lot of fun, a lot of laughs, a lot of tears on that podcast. Uh, it's been gone for three years. This is his first return to uh, television, essentially. Uh, and he's got The Romanovs, which is an anthology that purports to be about a different member of the lost Romanov uh, family the 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 last czarist regime in russia before the bolsheviks took over um i wouldn't say that like they're all necessarily actual romanovs but they have the sincere belief that they are romanovs Mm -hmm. uh we saw the first two episodes that were released this uh over the weekend i think it's actually on friday and they're going to release one episode a week uh each week after this on amazon uh jim what did you make of matthew weiner's new series
1: So here's why people get paid the big bucks, because I have zero interest in the topic of the show. And as a matter of fact, when you tell me, okay, we're going to make a series of movies because these are all hour and a half episodes uh, and they're all going to be about a different set of people who think they're Romanoffs. I couldn't be less interested, honestly. Uh, So the only reason i checked this out is because matthew weiner is attached to it and and you know he's the creator he's the director he's the writer so it's got weiner all over it uh it's
0: smattered with weiner yeah it
1: it sure is uh and and so like you know that's why you pay matthew weiner because people come in just for the name uh right that said i think it was okay uh i suppose i didn't not enjoy myself watching it but i found it to be a little bit odd Hmm. maybe the way that all these things are tied together is dubious at best and is definitely like i like actually how james poniwazic put it uh he's you know a longtime reviewer of the whiner uh in the new york times article that he wrote uh he said that this is essentially black mirror for an a dying aristocracy uh, which makes a lot of sense now that I've seen the first two episodes.
0: I think that I was a good halfway through the first episode not knowing what to make of it. Mm-hmm. But then they got to the scene where, and I guess we'll do spo- I I won't do spoilers, actually. We got to a scene where there's a seduction, and I started getting really engrossed into it, and I'm like... You know what I miss from Mad Men and I guess the leftovers is these very emotionally complex situations that have genuine tension that aren't like tied into this bomb has to be defused or this wall has to be defended or ice zombies will take over the world or you know there it's just it's just a it's just two people and you know compromising situations and asking you what you think about this morally and ethically and uh whether it feels real and I started to get really into it from there because the other thing I thought was that these episodes are attempts to deconstruct classic Hollywood tropes like Hmm. the first episode is essentially 16 candles you know uh a, a privileged guy who's kind of like you know disaffected uh, decides to treat a person from a, a lower caste or a, a different class uh, like a Cinderella as kind of like a gag or a um, a scam or of some sort, and then catches feelings. And what do they do? And like, a, and then the the woman finds out. And but it, like, it's everything is much more like. I guess heightened realism and it's 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 like the difference between if you've seen like, you know, a Rin and Stimpy cartoon and then you see someone try to make like a photorealistic uh lin and stimpy and how bizarre it looks. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like the Violet Hour is a photorealistic um you know, John Hughes film and <laughs> the Royal Wii was kind of like a photorealistic uh you know uh, the romantic comedy. You know, where, -hmm. where, where there's, (laughs) there's, yeah, there's big, there's, there's, there's big twists, there's big turns, there's things that like are shocking, but you kind of see coming and then they subvert that shock. Mm -hmm. So I guess at that, I thought it was kind of interesting to see, you know, what felt like pretty tropey situations be kind of turned on their heads. And then also I, I felt like a lot of the writing and the performances were, were very smart and interesting and held my interest. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's interesting that held my interest. Um <laughs> uh but I also wonder if there's not going to be something that the sum is more or the, the whole is more than just the parts maybe. You know, um we're two episodes in if there's going to be an actual thesis that emerges from all this. I heard that like the John Slattery's character who makes a brief cameo in episode 2 is not the actual episode that he was like build as being a part of so maybe there's like a little bit of a thread that is going to be running through all of these that we can tease out um Hmm. but no i like i said i i I spent the first 30 40 minutes um not just like confused and wondering if this is good and this if i like this but also with the extra like gee whiz what am i going to say if i don't like the new you know matthew weiner (laughs) (laughs) you can say you don't like the new matthew weiner show I know, but I mean, it's just like, a, it's like, a, it's a bummer. It's a bummer for uh, me. It's a bummer, yeah. you know, it's like, I, it's it's a little bit of that, like, I don't know. I got this weird, like, podcaster thing where that, that, that awareness of like, oh no, what if I don't like something and how am I going to talk about it in a way that won't piss people off, like started to creep in. But like I said, mm. after the second half of episode one and I pretty much totally enjoyed episode two. I will say, uh, I, yeah, I
1: liked episode two better than episode one. Uh, maybe it was just because I was finding my footing
0: mm-hmm um but yeah yeah like i said they're i feel like they're definitely worth watching are they and then the other thing is are they man it's like is it as good as mad men because like imagine mad men in a 90 minute format that's it it's just mm-hmm. you've got to introduce don and peggy and uh and and um you know the antagonists like peter or Pete, Pete Campbell, and you got to do it in like the first 30 to 40 minutes. So the rest of the, the, the thing can play and like how kind of just, you know, stripped down and, and pared down that, that, that experience would be. And I just, it's, it's, it's really, it's unfortunate that his last thing was Mad Men. This very long, sprawling, intensely interesting, very watchable serial that came out over seven you know like you know, hundreds of hours of television now you're looking at like okay here is about 10 hours of something but i i don't know is 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 it because no one gives a shit about the romanovs or is it because because who gave a shit about <laughs> 60s eras Mad Men, you know or admin
1: yeah uh I, I don't know certainly i think the subject matter is less interesting to me um and i i don't even know that i would compare these two things because like you're you're describing it's so apples to oranges here uh we've got you know the 90 minute format one and done kind of stories Mm -hmm. and then you've got that seven season huge arc uh of these of an intimate look at these characters i think it's very very different so i don't even know if i would approach the idea of which is better hmm
0: well i mean yeah i mean i think you're that's what I was kind of groping for is that it's a fool's errand, but yet everyone's doing it, you know? And I think, cause I, I was trying huh. to, I resisted watching any reviews or listening to any reviews. I didn't even go on a forum thread for the Romanovs. Uh, cause I know that got, you know, created as soon as the, uh, the series was announced and I didn't want to get contaminated, but I felt as I was reading like my old familiars, like, you know, I read Podnie Wozniak and uh, I read uh, the separate and a couple others. And I'm like, they did seem like, I mean, I don't think they were uninterested or at least, you know, but but there was like, you know, this kind of like reserved quality to the review. Like this, you know, is good, but not great. Maybe a little disappointing. A lot of takes on like what this means in the context of like the, you know, Me Too movement and like Matthew Weiner's, uh, you know, a- accusation of, of uh, sexual harassment that came out uh, late last year um that i guess i'm glad i missed all that because um i probably like like seeing this as like uh, kind of a mild disappointment i think might have influenced me to be like oh yeah like i'd have been looking for the flaws rather than trying to just engage with the material um did you like i, I don't know did you were you checking this were you checking the series out before you actually watched it or
1: no uh okay. not at all i i went and i read Like I said, James Paniwazic's review in The Times uh, afterward, after Mm -hmm. I'd seen both episodes. Um, And and largely, I came away feeling the same way that he did. Uh, After reading his review, I was like, oh, yeah, no, I I did not have a weird perspective on this. This is just Mm -hmm. actually how most people felt that it was, you know, interesting but odd um, and and maybe didn't quite hit exactly how they wanted it to and, and myself
0: also. Yeah, it's funny, because when I first heard this project, uh, I'm like, Romanov's, huh, a historical period piece about the downfall. Like, I assumed the downfall of the House Romanov. And then when I heard, oh, no, no, it's set in modern day, and it's going to be, like, putative descendants of Romanov's, I'm like, well, that's as weird as fuck.
1: Uh
0: Um, And, like, when I was watching the credit sequence, which is, you know, the Romanov's getting blown away, and their blood running across this floor, interspaced with, like, all these photographs of their, of their family. And then, like, it turns from, like, classical music to uh, Tom Petty's uh, Refugee. And there's this really cool shot of, like, you, you, what I think you're supposed to understand is Anastasia uh, Romanoff, the, the one that, you know, is always purported to have gotten away, fleeing in her, you know, little, little blue riding hood and it morphing into a girl in like a blue wind jacket just like walking up the staircase like that you you get this idea that like there's this historic loss that has pulled something out of all these people and regardless mm-hmm. of what had actually happened the idea of it happening is the important part And i thought it was interesting just juxtaposition we're, we're going to probably get into heavy spoilers from here on out so if you haven't had a chance to watch it i can't imagine this review would move you either way uh but you know i just want to give you fair warning Did uh, i say like watch episode two first hmm, i guess I it feel doesn't like it's matter the,
1: it's the more interesting of the two episodes
0: at least it was to me um the yeah i'm or, or maybe the easier
1: to engage with of the two
0: I, I won't argue that because like the first half of the first episode i thought was such a hoary uh trope uh of this like you know driving miss daisy bullshit mm-hmm. that like i it, it, it was it, i kind of had but and then it got more interesting in the second half i do think the first episode's maybe more visually beautiful but that's probably just because my god that apartment in paris france i know you can't beat uh, it you go to certain parts of paris for and you with the right camera and the right lighting and it's like my god is there a more beautiful city in the world mm-hmm. um so yeah i i would say that like episode two is broadly speaking the more entertaining and interesting of the episodes um but i think it's also it's interesting because like episode one also leans into kind of what i thought the romanovs would be like this aging aristocracy that's desperately trying to hold on to that that prestige and power uh in in a way that the rest of the world thinks is silly and anachronistic yeah. and the second episode is more of like i don't know like you know a, a middle class american romanov that's just like feels like he should be an emperor and he's not
1: yeah until you get to the boat and then there are some silly anachronisms there <laughs> you know some yeah, over the top yeah, yeah. ridiculous
0: yeah 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 stuff
1: like that but yeah we should talk spoilers cuz i i do want to talk about some details
0: Hey, before we get in-depth with the Romanovs, I want to talk about uh, upcoming things here at com. Next week, we're pretty excited. We got a new feature, completely new type of feature, called the Super Serious Film Fest. And we see it as like a spiritual successor to the Commission podcast, which we're bringing to a close uh, this year. It's a chance for us to talk about a lot of our favorite movies, a lot of your favorite movies, in a more structured, interesting kind of format. Uh, the first Super Serious Film Fest is subtitled Season of the Cage, and it's about... Uh, we're taking a sampling of six different Nick Cage movies, three of his best movies and three of his worst movies. And there's going to be a lot of uh, special features on YouTube that we release. Some of this is going to be club content. Some of it's going to be uh, free, publicly available content. We're actually bringing on Guy Ferrari uh, to punch up uh, some of the problems we see in the scripts of some of these films, uh, to do his take, his his vision of what uh, a movie, if he had free creative reign uh, to do whatever he wanted to it. Uh, again, pretty we're pretty excited about it. Super Serious Film Fest. Uh, look for more information next week. Also, uh, the final Empire business dropped this week where we do the studio tour, uh, the studio as it was before we decommissioned it because we're actually going to be moving studios uh, either late this year or early next year because if you didn't know, we're actually broadcasting out of Jim's basement right now. Uh, we got Bald Cave 2.0. That's out. We're still covering the Deuce every Tuesday. Better Call Saul, have our final podcast this Wednesday before the off season, where we wrap things up for season four. Cecily and I are still doing American Horror Story and having a ton of fun doing it. Jim and I took a chance uh, on Bad Times at El Royale. Had some bad times, had some good times. And finally, we got to see Oliver Stone's JFK as one of our final commission podcasts. Check all that stuff out at baldmove.com. Okay, so let's talk about episode one first, The Violet Hour. Let's start with the title, because what is A Violet Hour? So
1: in this episode, The Violet Hour is referenced in uh, a couple of scenes. One is a description of the sky when this old aristocratic, uh, aristocratic woman, uh, son drowns in the lake. Mm-hmm. Uh, Or or drowned somewhere. I don't know if it was a lake. But she said that, you know, the the sky was more of a violet color than the described light blue. Uh, And then at the very end of the episode, after, you know, uh, Aaron Eckhart gets, I I guess, the child that he's always been wanting but never told his girlfriend he wanted. Right. The air. Yeah, the the air, the lineage. um, The sky turns violet there again. So... It seems like there's some connection, I think, between the Violet Hour and the lineage sort of perpetuating or, or maybe a, a dying of the old aristocracy and a, a new birth of mm. a different type of blend. Because, you know, this this old woman is very concerned about uh, the lineage. That's like the one thing she wants before she dies is to know that mm-hmm. the, the Romanov line will be preserved. Right. Uh, which I, I don't know why, you know, fifteen hundred of her other cousins couldn't do it or something, but whatever. She she wants the lineage preserved through her. Um and, and so but but she doesn't she doesn't want it to change and then, you know, when they have when they, when it's announced that this uh Muslim woman is pregnant with uh Aaron Eckert's baby, then mm-hmm. they do that Violet Hour thing and it's it's almost like they're saying, Hey, this is the blending of the old aristocracy with the modern world and how the modern world is changing.
0: Yeah, and it's like, you know, as someone whose work schedule, or not work schedule, parenting schedule, has caused me to see more sunrises than I've seen in my entire life combined in the last month. Like, there is that both sunset and sunrise could be described as the violet hour. Mm, so like yeah. when her son is, I like that. it's like when her son is drowning, that's her seeing like the sunset setting on her part of the Romanov empire. And it, I think you're, you said something like, Oh, you her other 1500 cousins could do, you know, but I, it does seem like, and I, I want to talk about this as a larger topic next, maybe, but like in this particular show, the Romanovs as a diaspora, uh-huh. Seem throughout both episodes preoccupied with pre- keeping the lineage like when yeah. um, you know uh, what was what was the, the 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 Corey Stoll's wife's name Emily uh, I I just know her as Carrie Boucher uh, yeah who's great um she you know they talk about not having kids and you know the other romanovs like oh my god the society will die out within a generation if it's like that like it does seem like it's it's something that they're preoccupied by so i like the idea that like this is the sun setting and then unexpected rise of the sun and this and this lady uh which i mean the the thing that didn't work i guess in my and for me in this episode was the final scene of like you know eric and hajar inhabiting this apartment and like he's literally <laughs> dressed up like a czar and the yeah. old lady with the candle like she's almost a creepy ghost lady uh i wasn't sure what they were trying to go with on that um, I, I mean i think i think you
1: you said what they were going for they wanted this to look like an old photo of the Romanov family like you'd see in the 19 or early 1900s or late 1800s you know
0: but why? I mean, I was like, it's like, yeah, I was like, uh, I don't know. It's funny because, like, I feel like um, <laughs> what is less, is, is is a lot less interesting. Like, being able to say, like, what a scene is depicting is less interesting than, like, why, what is the purpose of that scene showing? And there's well, a I, lot I, of people... Oh, go ahead.
1: I was going to say, I feel like they're showing how different this Romanoff family has become, you know? Like, there's a scene in the market where the, the old lady... Uh, is having Hajar do all of her shopping for her uh-huh. and then these two very old very crusty white people come up and they're mm-hmm. like oh can you believe like you know we got brown skin people in our markets uh, right right well, what a fucking France travesty yeah yeah and and i think that's in there to sh- to kind of contrast with the very end where she's just happy that the lineage is going on he's happy because he got a child which was something he wanted and it it doesn't have to look like those old photos in you know skin tone or or religion necessarily it just looks like those old photos in spirit Mm -hmm. Mm. you know it's it's like the blending of the of the cultures the blending of the the peoples like the the family is changing and and you can still call it the Romanov family, and right. you do, when you look at that picture, you go, oh my god, that's an aristocracy right there. Yeah. But the people involved in it are very different than they were.
0: Yeah, they're definitely playing in that first episode a lot of, like, you know, you can't be French. The the old lady, who's just the worst, mm-hmm. um, and she's talking, you know, she gets this uh, Muslim caretaker, uh, and they have, like, just this, like... You know, verbal war in the first couple of uh, encounters with each other. And the old lady's thesis is, well, you're an immigrant. And she's like, no, I'm not. I was born here. She goes, well, you'll never be French. Right. And then you fast forward a little bit, and she's letting her – you know, Hajar dress up in these, you know, old uh, costumes from the aristocracy. And when she puts on this blue outfit, which I think, again, is supposed to emphasize the Anastasia. Mm-hmm. She's absurdly beautiful. She looks like a Disney princess. Yeah. like with the tiara are, and everything. Yeah, like my nieces would see that and want to buy her at, you know, Toys <laughs> R Us if, if there was still Toys R Uses. Um, yeah. And I feel like that's part of, like... this this panic of like france transforming into something that's unrecognizable is silly on multiple fronts number one you know france has transformed like uh 200 frenchmen from 200 years ago would not recognize the capital now yeah um or even back in the 70s or 60s when it was france was still like you know whatever the idea of these people of france is um and then second like the idea that some of these people might transform it's not just that tran- france itself is transforming but the people are being transformed by france that like a person like hajar could be per- could be a romanoff princess if she marries a Eric guy like in mm-hmm. the world wouldn't just fucking fall off it's got if it's goddamn axis <laughs> i think that's another interesting thing that they're playing with
1: didn't like some british royalty just marry like a movie star or something
0: uh, yeah well an american tv star yeah. american tv star yeah, yeah. so i mean a uh, uh, half black one at that there was the many, <laughs> many jimmy's <laughs> rustled many jimmy's rustled
1: yeah so i wonder if it's you know pulled right out of current events kind of thing
0: it might be it is weird because like I felt like there's the other thing there was a little bit of both sides ism on the like that Matthew Weiner was engaging where you know hajar's mom showed up and she was pretty awful in how she depicted hajar's sex life and Eric's motivations although I think that she's pretty much right about Aaron Eckerts um at least his uh at least his beginning his his, his beginning motivations yeah um because that's do you want to talk that that's the other thing i want to talk about like there is an interesting thing that happens where i think um aaron eckert explicitly set out to seduce this woman and um try to as a, as a way to win this apartment which is his kind of life's chief aspiration to get this big fancy apartment that is his his aunt's been in in haunting for the last few decades <laughs> yeah um And I felt like he started off as, like, you know, he came out of that bathroom after he did the, like, full emotional court press of this isn't right and this is blah and this is – and it wasn't getting anywhere. And he, like, went to the bathroom, smoothed his hair back. is like, okay, I'm going to try a charm offensive. Mm -hmm. But I felt like he – like as the night wore on, he just couldn't do it. Like she was just too earnest and forthright and and honest. And I th- I actually think that the night was probably going to end until she tripped and skinned her knee, which then let him back. You know, let, led to them going back to the hotel, and then I think that he became aware that she was actually very interested in him as a person and he goes and he, like he's thinking about like his current lover and how she's kind of awful in her way. Oh yeah. Although and I I you know I I can't finish a thought before I go digress into something. But yeah, like I what's what's your opinion on like when did this become something that was exploitative and when did it become something that we're supposed to feel good about? Because I felt like I felt good about uh the final scene where you know, Eric embraced Hajar, and his old girlfriend uh, stole the Faberge egg and ran off into the night. <laughs> the the and fake creep... Faberge egg, maybe? Yeah, yeah. And and um, but I didn't know that. I I I I didn't know that they actually earned it. I felt like there was a step that was skipped because Aaron Eckhart is dashingly handsome and <laughs> Hajar. <laughs> well, you
1: always skip a few steps when you're dashingly handsome.
0: Sure. And Hajar is just radiantly beautiful, uh-huh. and they both are kind of like you know kindred spirits and that you know they believe in things that they can't prove and they're groping for that but like did did it work for you
1: i'll say i never came around on it i actually think that last scene uh is a little weird and gross to me kind of ghoulish
0: if in that yeah
1: yeah because he i mean he's using her as a means to an end and the only thing that changes in that final scene is the end like he instead of getting an apartment he gets a child and I think he mm-hmm. wanted both of those things, but yeah, but both of them felt kind of gross at the end to me.
0: Well, the other thing I guess is like, I, I from his perspective, I buy the turnaround because you know his other girlfriend. I mean, but that's the other thing is like, I part of trying to untangle like, do I believe that this Eric character would toss what what's her face over for Hajar? Yeah, I could totally see that happening, but then I also think. Was his girlfriend really that awful? Because I was thinking of, like, if I had an aunt who I loved and she's in France and I've moved over there to take care of her for five plus years and I'm living like, uh, you know, this kind of, you know, comfortable but unfulfilling experience. And I'm at her beck and call. And every time I try to do something nice, she fakes these illnesses to keep me on. Like, I can see hating her and I can see my girlfriend, like, just thinking that she's the worst person ever. And does that, I don't know. Does that, I I kept on thinking like, well, (laughs) like do I, I feel a lot better if like Eric's girlfriend is just a totally irredeemable, evil, evil person. But, Mm -hmm. and, and the show's wanting me to think that like she's a vulture, but the only reason I think that is because she hates the aunt who is a terrible character and the aunt who is the terrible character calls her a vulture.
1: (laughs) That. And I think at the end, she kind of proves where her interests lied. Uh, The entire time Mm. it's it's with the money it's with the apartment it's with you know the Fabergé egg that she steals
0: she she very
1: quick she's very quick to like relinquish that relationship and just Mm. take the egg and leave Mm.
0: but on the other hand from her perspective this is like. Some unbelievable shit that's happening. No, oh, absolutely. You just absolutely. found out that your boyfriend, who, you know, all accounts looks like you've had a happy relationship with, even though it's been, like, you know, problematic from the aunt standpoint, you found out that he had an affair uh with this girl he was supposed to swindle the apartment out of, and she's pregnant, and her very Muslim mother is now haranguing you about morals and this stuff, and now he's got this idiot <laughs> grin on his face and is throwing you over. <laughs> No, no, it's, like, it's totally understandable. I, don't, I think I might steal a Fabergé egg if I didn't give a shit about the Fabergé egg, you know? But but she does, and, and there's yeah, this big yeah. smile
1: on her face at the end, and I think that's the thing, well, one of the things that ties the two episodes together. Mm-hmm. You look at the the people who are not Romanovs in this situation right. getting the fuck out of the Romanov family and right. being happy about it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. these people are are genuinely fucked up in a lot of ways. yeah uh so yeah maybe she's not the worst person in the world for wanting to get out of that situation uh i i don't know i I, there's something else too, where uh i mean the whole time she's talking about killing his his aunt which is you know not a great thing to be talking about and also Mm. there's a line in there uh i forget who says it but something oh i think it's when um eckhart and hajar i I, fuck i don't know eckhart's name in this i think it's Uh, eric eric Mm -hmm. okay eric and hajar are walking uh down the streets of paris and he's kind of seeing it for the first time again Mm -hmm. um and appreciating just the beauty of paris the beauty of the place they're in and how envious most people are that they can even be there at all Mm -hmm. and that's a thing that i think that his girlfriend is taking for granted Mm -hmm. throughout the episode and and that makes me think that maybe she's you know a little bit shitty like she's she owns a freaking hotel in Paris, and she's yeah. got to live there for five years. And I feel like she's become somehow jaded with that idea.
0: Yeah, she uh, seems to be very entitled. Like I am a very yeah. pretty, I'm a very pretty woman, and there's a lot of things that should come easy to me. And yeah, although and, and like I said, it's, it's not for me quite to ever good enough, enough either. Any attitude that she has that arises over the shitty aunt, because she's just yeah. the worst. Like she's mm-hmm. the type of person. I saw her eat several meals and never prayed. As soon as her nephew comes over, she affect she affects Roman Catholicism to kind of like fucking embarrass him. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know her obvious racism. I, I don't, I, I don't. That's the other thing that doesn't quite hold together to me. It's like at there's a, at the midpoint they try to start humanizing the old lady by saying, "Oh well, you know, she is." I mean, you're supposed to think. Because uh, her name's Anoushka or Anastasia, you're supposed to think that like if she's not the princess herself, she's like a direct descendant, and she's got all this like psychic horror from her upbringing, and she was forced to quarter Nazis, and one of mm-hmm. them raped their his uh, her, her sister, and they stole the Fabergé eggs. So she's just she's not really mean; she's just bitter about how her life has turned out. <laughs> right. But on the other hand. A lot of people have gone through that and as worse and from a far less privileged position than her, mm-hmm. and e he, still, the things you say to the things she said to this hajar woman are beyond the fucking pale, to the extent to where like i don't if I'm hajar, like I felt that was interesting too that like she could just go to the home care office and say, "This woman's an unabashed racist, I refuse to be to go back there, and like mm-hmm. no one would blame her. Like, there's something to be said, I guess, for standing your ground and whatnot. But, like, my God, she just... Again, she's just the... She's the worst. She's the worst. Yeah. Um, Talking about they have no civilization, and they're savage, and it's all this other... I don't know.
1: Yeah. Uh, Hajar is the longest-suffering person
0: I've ever seen. (laughs) Right, right. No, I thought that that was interesting, but kind of messy, because... um, it's hard cuz like I think this is something like Bojack Horseman does really well, which is show terrible people and like g- let you understand why they're terrible but never like excuse or want you to like you know defend one- their behavior. And I felt like Matthew Weiner doesn't quite have that deft touch or maybe it's just an animation thing where like you know this is an actual human talking about pain and you want to be empathetic to her. Um but like I said it's like I felt like it, they they wanted me to feel bad and they wanted me to turn around on this this old woman whereas like nah she's still pretty terrible like yeah,
1: i definitely had a hard time like the uh, world
0: the world's best brightest nicest most long suffering muslim woman in france happened to be her caregiver and she thinks that's a good muslim but she probably still thinks muslims are you know uh <laughs> savages like, right um, I don't know, uh, there, there's one other
1: thing I want to talk about, yeah. uh, that kind of bridges these two episodes. I, you know, obviously the Romanovs are some connective tissue. Um, there's some connective tissue with the, the non-Romanovs getting the hell out of the family and enjoying it. Uh, there, there's also kind of a tie between people wanting something and not talking about it. And I think mm. that is probably the most interesting part of the second episode, which mm-hmm. Uh, it, cause in the first episode it becomes clear, it becomes evident that at the end, and I don't even know if, if Eric himself knew this, but by the end of it, he definitely wanted a kid this whole time. Right. And they make a big deal about how his girlfriend definitely doesn't want kids. Um, you know, she right. was, she was married before or something. I, I forget exactly what her, her yeah, situation yeah, she was, was. She's but the, married,
0: divorced, and's like kind of over the whole thing and where he's kind of more of a romantic.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so... You know the the throughout the episode, the the old aunt is making a big deal about oh you don't want kids and and they don't really go into the idea of that idea very much with Aaron Eckert's character until the very end, and it becomes mm-hmm. clear that even if it wasn't forefront in his mind and maybe he didn't know it, that's what he was looking for. Mm-hmm. Um. So and, and then you know in the second episode, it's it's very much more clear that these people would be much much happier if they separated and they just don't talk about that option.
0: Mm. I, before before we go on to the second episode or leave the first episode, I want to talk about the the concept of the Romanovs in general,
1: mm-hmm. like
0: this society that he is depicting. And I, you know, deliberately didn't read a whole bunch on this because um, is is your opinion that this, like, Romanov diaspora, like, to the extent that they would, like, get together and, like, sit in conferences about their shared history, or is that a real thing? Is that something that is actually part of is a, a pocket of the real world that maybe Weiner has researched and was interested in, or is it just, like almost a science fiction concept this this uh, longing of the lost Romanov dynasty of all the Romanovs throughout the world um is what, what do you think is more close closer to the truth uh so i when when i saw
1: the sign on the cruise ship for the Romanov family society mm-hmm. i made that i made a note uh and i went and i looked up the the society and apparently that society isn't real, but what is real is the association. So there's a Romanov Family Association, and I think it was formed in the 70s, and it's headquartered in like Sweden or something, or, or I, I don't know, some European country. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and it's headquartered I, in Sealand.
1: <laughs> right, Sealand. <laughs> That's uh, the only
0: place the Romanovs <laughs> can go to avoid their persecution.
1: So, I guess it is kind of a real thing, but as, as to the extent of it, like, uh, renting out cruise ships and having these these meetings on family history, I don't know.
0: How do you prove that, too? Right.
1: Is it a uh, last name thing? It's just, well, my I last mean, that, name's Romanov, so...
0: That seems like the shittiest way to prove something ever. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah, I wonder, like, what the... Because the whole idea is, like... A lot of these people like flee, flee, fled as as refugees and, and, and outcasts. Like how like, you know, can you can you go trace your birth records back that far back past the revolution? I don't know.
1: You have to own at least one Fabergé egg.
0: You do. You do. Yeah. It doesn't have to be doesn't have to be doesn't have to be real. Right. Um, did you think so? It's interesting that you think that the egg was real.
1: No, I think it's fake. Uh,
0: Okay, me too. I, I okay. thought because you you were like kind of like I thought like maybe you had some line of evidence that that Faberge egg was real. Nah. Um, okay, so yeah, so she stole a fake egg. Jokes on her. Yep. Eggs, fake eggs on her face. <laughs> um, okay, so do you want to talk about episode two, the Royal Wee? Sure. Um, I thought this was interesting to open. Um, and this kind of a mundane situation, I I do think that this ep- the this show does excel at like you know having fairly mundane situations, but do a little uh, interesting take on them. Like in the first episode, there was like the family sitting around after dinner, drinking wine and smoking smoking marijuana in front of their very small children, mm, which I thought right. was arresting. And I'm like, well, I mean, I guess adults drink and smoke in front of children all the time it's just weird to see them doing illegal drugs and to the extent that you believe marijuana should or should not be like maybe but like this is it illegal in paris man fuck if i know uh Hmm. no they the the bastille they keep open explicitly to jail people that they find smoking reefer out on the streets (laughs) right um anyway uh the the whole starting with this um marriage therapy uh-huh. Uh, and I immediately did not like Corey Stoll's character because, like, I I can't imagine being in a relationship with this wall of apathy. Right. Where it's like, well, I'll do whatever you want to do, but I'll roll my eyes and sigh when you make suggestions and, you know, because uh-huh. I'm fundamentally just not I'm – a, I'm a happy – I'm an unhappy, disaffected person. Uh-huh. But like, you know, she's like this this woman's doing like some like emotional work. She's trying to figure out. Like, you know, they say opposites attract, but then they also say that you should have a lot of things in qual you know, both can't be true, and or maybe both can be true, and you know uh And I like what the therapist says there.
1: That's a movie. You know? Yeah. These yeah, lines yeah, yeah. were written for a purpose. Don't think that this has any analogue to real life.
0: Right, right. Um But I, I thought that um I don't know. Like this is this is an interesting this this felt like a screwball romantic comedy with like you know uh, you've seen it like a bunch of different times where the guy will scheme away where there's the, the the there's some manufactured situation where the woman's stuck out of town or the man's stuck out of town and she's thrown in with this other person and like hijinks and shoot and it's like kind of a fairly lighthearted low stakes because you don't really give a shit about Carrie Stoll or Corey Stoll, you don't give a shit about his wife. Um, You don't give a shit about the relationship. So, like, seeing this guy engaged in this low-stakes, you know, 12 Angry Man nonsense, the win over this English Gal Gadot type, doesn't, (laughs) like, really land. And then you're kind of happy for his wife that she's having fun on the cruise and intrigued when Noah Wiley shows up. But, like, it's all kind of, you know, pretty low-stakes and droll up until the very very end where mm-hmm. he tries to murder his wife um and that i thought this like i saw this coming a mile away yeah as soon as like you know they're hiking up this thing and you know he's she's getting ahead and he's like giving us significant glances but i was kind of surprised that she lived lived through it like that was the, the <laughs> yeah, shocking twist for sure because i thought this is just going to be a dark you know like oh don draper uh you know turned his brother away and he hung himself kind of thing Mm -hmm. you know um or lane price is going to be found committed suicide in his office but he so it's like he started off with like a screwball romantic comedy he took it dark and then by the end it became a screwball romantic comedy again
1: yes i i guess i agree with that uh it it was very strange i thought I guess I was looking for the Romanoff part of it, and, you know, that's weird to say in an episode where we see more Romanoffs in an episode, uh, the most Romanoffs in an episode so far, but it felt less Romanoff-y to me Mm -hmm. than that first episode.
0: (laughs) Hmm. I Uh, don't know, but, yeah, I I thought so too, but then when we got to the cruise ship and it was Romanoff as fuck. Yeah, but it didn't have anything to do with anything. Like, that... That was completely
1: incidental to the whole story, which was essentially these two people who are not in love and who do not make each other happy trying to fake it Um, and, you know, going off the rails when they're not together, when they're not forced to fake it, essentially.
0: Hmm. Interesting. And
1: then, you know, the the darkest twist, obviously, when he tries to kill her at the end. Uh, But yeah, I, I guess screwball romantic
0: comedy is pretty accurate. Is there, so, because I thought, again, you're supposed to understand that she is almost like more Roman, well, I can't, like, there's something about, I, I felt like there's another thing just like um, when Hajar put on the costume and she became like Anastasia, mm-hmm. like when she showed up at that ball and was like, you know, rubbing elbows with the other Romanovs, like there was, um, I don't know, the idea that like she... Is more Romanov than the Romanovs. Huh. Like she's she's more effortlessly playing the part, even though she doesn't have any interest in it. Or like I, I don't know. There, I I felt like I, there was something to that.
1: Yeah, I think the way I read that is her thrill at seeing you know all of the Romanov shit going down mm-hmm. was kind of. It's to me it said if only Corey Stoll could get his head out of his ass, and appreciate what he has here and participate in his own fucking life Mm -hmm. uh that maybe they she would be really into this and he could be really into it and they would be happy as romanoffs together
0: yeah interesting because like that's when john slattery shows up as this like romanoff scholar (laughs) Uh uh-huh like I just like it's so eye roly because uh, he's talking about how like their essentially their inheritance is that their inheritance was taken from them and there's this mm. there's this internal violence and sadness that's that's part and parcel of the Romanov existence and it can't be escaped it can't be grappled with it's just something and like and they showed all the Romanovs like kind of like thoughtfully looking oh yeah oh, yeah and you get the idea that these are all just like probably miserable son of a bitches yeah. Um, and then I think that the regressive and transgressive tone of their ball was supposed to suggest that, that, like, like the Anushka character from the first episode, that these are kind of terrible people. Mm-hmm. Like, the fact that they see themselves as this arist- uh, aristocratic class uh, kind of shields them from thinking that uh like a medieval style passion play about the romanovs complete with all little people is like something that could can't really be done nowadays in the 21st century like yeah. that's something you'd see you expect to see on like fucking game of thrones um but that yeah the like the 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 whole thing is the Romanovs thing is that they're like navel gazing shits that excuse all their bad behavior because their mom and dad their moms and dads got murdered, like even like Corey Stoll, when he's trying to make time with the the British gal it's like he his opening is oh well, my whole family got murdered uh-huh but, uh, that doesn't touch him no like that's not that's not his damage I don't know um no it's, like, hard, it's hard to tell what is his
1: damage honestly
0: right right. But I don't know. It just seems like there was, like, no making these people uh, happy. I thought there was uh, something else instructive, like, you know, you got the people that are... Like, even at her table at the ball, there was people that were, like, super into the Romanov cruise and the Romanov identity. And then they were married to people that, like, don't give a shit. Mm -hmm. You know, like, like, Noah Wiley doesn't give a shit about the Romanovs and thinks it's a bunch of bullshit. The one elder fellow when the one girl was or the one woman is like oh you know if if everyone's like that the Romanov society will be dead and within a generation he's like oh yeah wouldn't that be a shame <laughs> right. um i i mean i i that's that's a really interesting tension to have like it like imagine like if you like i'm just trying to think of like imagine if i was drug on this cruise and everybody is unironically all about being a Romanov, and i think this is all creepy and weird like how mm-hmm. do you have how do you have a relationship like that? And yet it seemed like that was the relationship that all the Romanovs had. Like even the lady yeah. taking, you know, handing out the Romanov badges were like, "Oh, you showed up at your husband. Well, you'll have more fun with them anyway." And you know, her husband is the guy who's like, "Guess cosplaying as the duke." Uh-huh. Uh, I did love him drinking and throwing the shot glasses over his shoulder, and the bartender's like, "Sir, you have to stop doing that." <laughs> like, yeah. he's just his joy in life is destroying shot glasses. No, it was, um, it was good. Uh, also, yeah. I I can't,
1: like, I feel bad for the little people involved in that uh, mockery of a stage play, but I, I feel maybe even worse for the horse, which <laughs> was carted onto this boat for sure. a, a multi-day, if not week-long tour for 20 minutes of stage time, mm-hmm. no, not even, 20 seconds of stage yeah. time.
0: I thought the horse was going to take a shit on the ballroom. I did, like, too, yeah. Justify his existence. Also, can we talk a meta, like... It's obviously gross if you commission a troupe of little people actors to reenact a circus, like, you know, a circus type of execution of Romanovs, right? You got your evil Rasputin. Where's the line of, like, doing that ironically in a television show as a way to say how not politically correct this crowd is? I mean, isn't that just what actors are paid to do yeah but like don't you think it's 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 got to be weird it's like hey you're like like if those like those actors would they show up if it was unironically hey this is a romanov cruise and they want you to dress like the romanovs and they want you to run around on your little legs and play benny hill music behind you as, as as your hijinks are hilarious would they show up for that Look, Nick Cage got paid. I don't know how much money to do
1: himself. Ironically, and Mandy, so I, I can't feel too bad about them getting a
0: paycheck. I'm, no, dude, to I'm ironically fe- portray themselves. I'm not feeling bad. I'm okay. just meditating on what it's like and what the yeah, what are no. what are the the what are the rules to this? Because, like, I agree. Like, if I um, if I could make a buck doing something. Uh, then, like, traditionally, I've done that, you know? Like, (laughs) Uh uh, if I can make a buck talking about my weird cult past, I'll do that. If I can make a buck, you know, acting like a jackass on a podcast and people find it entertaining, I'll do that. Like, but there's nothing, I don't know, like... There's nothing inherently, I guess, uh, dehumanizing about any of those things. In fact, it's like the opposite. It is like asking me to be treated as a human. And I just wonder what it's like to be like Matthew Weiner's like, hey, hey, um, hey, I want a whole bunch of little people, but it's not what you think. It's actually a parody of the thing that you think, mm-hmm. you know, and then the agents call that. And also, like, how many, you know, how many roles are there for 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 dwarf actors? Uh, and is Peter Dinklage taking them all? And like, there's like, I don't know, I guess, like, I feel like there's a, a whole a whole rabbit hole of questions I have that I won't get any answers to. It's just, I like to, it's like a fake Fabergé. I like to look it up and admire it and see, you know, <laughs> if it's genuine or not. Uh-huh. I feel like we haven't talked about Corey Stoll because he started the episode as an irredeemable shit. He was an irredeemable shit throughout the episode. And by the end of the episode, I thought for, briefly that he was going to learn a goddamn lesson. That uh-huh. like that this British Gal Gadot is going to teach him like, you know, you just got a little bit of spice made life nah. worth. But but you, the the real happiness is to be found within and with your own beautiful wife, who's vivacious. And oh, by the way, fended off a very charming, uh, very <laughs> wounded Noah <laughs> Wiley. Right. Uh, which I've seen ER. That's a hard thing for a woman to do. That's apparently. a tough thing. Yeah. Um, and. You know, she's just manifestly too good for him. And I thought he was going to realize that until he suggested the hike and I realized that, no, in fact, he was going to try to murder this woman. And there's oh, something. Okay. What, what, I'm sorry. What What was your OO on that? Uh, 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 well,
1: I was just thinking. I. So you must have read the breakdown in the therapist's office very differently from the way I did because I read that entire, like, oh, I finally realized what's important thing as not him realizing his wife is important, but realizing that he's not happy with his wife because he doesn't have the freedom to experience that feeling that he got uh, running around on his wife, essentially. Right. Uh, and so I kind of knew from there on, and when the night before they went on the hike when he suggests, hey, we should go on a hike tomorrow, I was like, oh, no, this is bad. This is very bad.
0: Yeah, because I, I guess I should I. No, so I thought that the therapist office breakdown, I was with you, oh, but okay. then when she like embraced him and he kind of like melted into her embrace, I thought like, well... But I, I didn't see that. What I saw uh, is a man who was
1: having a breakdown, a woman who had arms around him, but he was not giving an inch there.
0: Hmm, interesting. Uh, so I, I, yeah, I, I guess, because I was with you, I thought that the breakdown was over him realizing he wasn't in love with his wife, but then... yeah. I thought in the ensuing days, like, maybe that he's, you know, like... Because, like, there's, I, I just felt like there had to be redemption for his character. You would you think know? so, yeah. Um, or this poor woman is stuck with this guy for the rest of her life. I guess the redemption is for her. She yeah. gets to, like... I mean... I don't even know what it's like to realize that your husband that I think she, you know g- you genuinely care for is, is not only n- didn't love you but also was going to like murder you instead of like doing the right thing which is breaking up with you I mean um, such a
1: fucking cowardly way out right? it
0: is man but like you hear about this shit all the time like these uh-huh. guys that feel trapped in relationships but their pride is like well I can't get a divorce because then I look like a bad dude I know I'll I'll murder my wife and get away with it like <laughs> right this shit happens not right Regularly, but like, you know, the fact that it's happened non-zero numbers of times is 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 is, is a shocking indictment of the moral craptitude of the human human soul. um But like, but yeah, and like the fact that he did this after every evidence to the con like this this British Gal Gadot has said no, it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. Not even if you were single. Like I'm not even mm-hmm. tempted. I love my husband. One of the reasons I love my husband is he's dumb enough that I can step out and he's none the wiser and I'm a beautiful... Uh, urbane, desirable woman, and I can get away with it. And you are like K- Corey Stoll, who is weirdly magnetic and attractive to people, even though it doesn't really, it defies kind of like common sense and 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 conventional wisdom. But you you got you're in the Adam Driver zone of a goofy looking dude that women find irresistible. So go, and, and your wife is an idiot, so go out and have fun. And he just fucking just heard like oh no it's oh no, oh no sailor if you murder your wife i'll be I'll be available uh-huh. it's some cringy sh- it was some, some cringy ass shit that I was watching it is yeah. um like just just like that the the montage of him calling her and calling her and not getting return calls just crazy town, so yeah, and you talk about uh you know Cory stole
1: uh the e r guy whatever uh-huh. no Wiley Noah Wiley, yeah their, their magnetism i ever since I've seen Halt and Catch Fire, which is where I was introduced to Kelly Bichette, Carrie Bichette, mm-hmm. uh I really, really like her. First of all, she's beautiful. I mean, that that helps. But she's able to, like, convey, uh, like, a, a bizarre, like, pure innocence and also, yeah. like, mischievous bad girl. Like, th- there's a massive gulf between those two things, and yet she walks both sides of that gulf yeah, uh, effortlessly. And, you know, she she always seems like she's very sharp too. She's at least the character she's playing. Uh, I mean, the actress is able to bring that to the roles. So yeah, uh, no, yeah, I'm like a huge fan of Carrie Boucher now.
0: It's I, I am too. And I I remember her being Scoot McNary's wife, right? Yes. Cause I saw the first, I think two Donna. seasons of that. Um I thought that, yeah, like, I guess I would say that she's appealing, Uh mm-hmm. like in, in like kind of like a, a, a Carrie Coons kind of way, like a multi-dimensional, yes, they're attractive uh but they're also like you 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 said there's they seem very bright they seem kind of like game and up for anything and like they seem like they'd be a lot of fun to be with but also like yeah i i totally and i guess that's one of the frustrations is you see you know this guy who's built this whole life because you kind of you also find out that like they work together and i think that she maybe is the one that owns the company and he just works there Mm -hmm. Um, oh man this is sounding more like hot and catch fire every day Right, right, right. Like that like he's built his whole life around and it's a good life, but he is b- bored for whatever reason because he thinks he should. I thought is interesting that when she was on board the cruise, she saw an old painting of a Romanoff that looked exactly like him. Uh-huh. So like I think I think it's interesting that like what I what, when I heard like the 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 pitch about this being 21st century Romanovs, like there was a little bit of ton in cheek implying that they're not really Romanovs, they're like diluted Romanovs. But I felt like every one of these episodes so far gives pretty compelling reason to believe that the person is an actual Romanov, whatever the fuck that means. Mm-hmm. You know, like if I found out I would. It's weird because like if I found out I was a Romanov right now, I don't think it would change one bit how I feel about myself. <laughs> like yeah. but core, you like, like to get a faberge egg though i get i mean hard to I, come I, by that's what happened I, I think they ride up to your house on in a in a chain and 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 yeah and they ride up with in, in a big uh uh coach, a carriage yep. a carriage and they give you the faberge egg and inside it says congratulations you're rowing off right. um but like they like it's not a call to adventure it's not a like oh well now I know all the things that are broken inside of me and like it's <laughs> it's it's like uh, it'd be like the same way if I found out I was I don't know I can't even think of any I can't think of anything like that like like it's it's almost treated like it's a you know Daisy Ridley finding out that she's a Jedi
1: <laughs> okay yeah like
0: it's this thing that like this knowledge that alters your entire life course and how you perceive your life and 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 contentment and it's almost like a, a disease where. You could be surrounded by beauty and opulence and culture and still feel like you have lost something because it's not the fucking empire that your family built and it was yeah. taken away from you.
1: Yeah, no, I I'm definitely getting what they're putting down there, and it's it's interesting when I when I look at the Corey Stoll character, I I think he's a bit of an enigma, but also I think I can see something within the Romanov stuff that makes him the way he is because they do make it a point to say that he is essentially the employee within this company. Right. Mm -hmm. And that, Mm -hmm. that Carrie Bichet is the one who's make calling the shots. Um, Mm -hmm. and then, you know, him acting out is very much like an expression of, or reclaiming of his freedom in some twisted fucked up way. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I feel like if he were the aristocracy of the early 1900s, uh, he would be able to do whatever the fuck he wants. Right. And you look at the stuff that happens on the boat with the Romanovs they're doing whatever the fuck they want uh and it's not good it's, they're doing very bad things in some cases but uh I think that's one of the things that I don't know if Corey Stoll's character understands that in the episode but the episode is trying to kind of say that is that this is a man who a hundred years ago would have been a king who would have been able to do absolutely anything he wants and now he's like eh, I don't want to do anything because I can't do everything That I want. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, it's it. It kind of dovetails into like what uh, Slattery was saying about the Romanovs and like what an impressive regime they were. Because like he mentioned, like he mentioned as laudable, and there's all these Romanovs nodding. It's like they maintained feudalism until well into the (laughs) 20th century, and like. (laughs) the fuck man uh, like like uh you know it's it's like saying america's burned coal well into the 21st century it's like it might be true but it's not th- something that we should laud or brag about or yeah. like i read a horse today every day until the you know the, the starship enterprise came it's like who gives a shit like <laughs> uh that's you, so yes this family is is, is st- stayed in the way of progress and we mm. were brutally massacred because the people apparently were so happy with the way things ran that (laughs) that they were popularly revolted against and and killed um yeah i i don't know um there's a little i thought there was some there's some kind of interesting stuff that um like i think it's because like you know one of the one of the um one of the criticisms about, like, you know, Me Too and, and, and uh, the crazy idea of respecting women and consent in general is, like, oh, they'll be there it'll be a, the death of passion and romance in a world. Mm-hmm. And I felt like this scene at their, the lake house was kind of like a response to that. How, like, you know, they were playing with little non-consensual consent, but the woman, like, at one point, uh, the British Gal Gadot type, like, had to tell Corey Stoll to stop and have him actually, like respect the fact that he would stop mm-hmm. and then she flipped the sexual name, and i thought that all stuff was very very sexy but mm-hmm. it was also all done within the rubric of of like consent and respect and that's a pretty good way of saying that like yeah you know making sure that people actually want to have sex with you before you have sex with them not necessarily the death of uh <laughs> of uh, sexuality and romance uh uh-huh. that's some that some would would say it is Hey, everybody. Before we get into the feedback for the Romanovs, I want to talk about Club Bald Move, club.baldmove.com. And the reality is, uh, if you enjoyed our discussion of the Romanovs and looking forward to hearing us talk about it in the upcoming weeks, uh, there's zero chance we'd be doing that without the club. But the club didn't exist. The funds for us to do uh, podcasts uh, on a full-time basis. And if you heard our housekeeping, you know that we're going to have like six different podcasts dropping this week alone. Uh, we just wouldn't be able to do it. And it's not an altruistic thing like, oh my God, I want to hear him talk about the Romanovs, I better pay. You also get a bunch of bonus features uh, for your money. You get access to ad-free feeds, video versions of a lot of our podcasts, uh, bonus content such as Quips and Lunch with Jim and Aron. Uh, some of the con- content at the upcoming serious, Super Serious Film Fest are going to be exclusive to club members. You don't want to miss out on that. Check out club.baldmove.com for more information and sign up today. Uh, We have some feedback that I'm going to consider now. Uh, Benny up front says, I'm sure the series will give you all the historic information that you need to know. But if it whets your appetite, Robert Massey's book, Nicholas and Alexandria, the classic account of the fall of the Romanov dynasty, is a fascinating read. The Last Family of Czars was brought down by a string of really unfortunate and preventable mistakes with a strong supporting role from the mystic slash con artist Rasputin. You can draw a straight line from the events of the world of the book through the rise of communism, the cold war, and much of the conflict found in the world today. It reads as much like a novel as it does like history, and you may be interested even to show isn't your cup of tea. Uh they mentioned they're not the author related or being endorsed. They just <laughs> just like the book. Um I wonder because like some of the stuff Benny's saying here makes me think that this book might be a little too romanticized. Hmm. Um because yeah like i I don't know because like, i've heard a lot of different things about like how big a role rasputin had in the family um you know what the how the, the romanovs are seen as the by their people and um but you know like i keep coming back to like they maintained a feudal regime into the 20th century <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that sentence that sentence is not a glowing endorsement of their of their rule but uh yeah, I just want to shout that out in case uh, or if if uh, there is a Romanov historian that's got a better like if you had to choose one book to read about the Romanovs, because the reality is I'm gonna have to choose one book. I'm not <laughs> gonna read multiple books on the Romanovs. I might not even read the one if I get through the first like thirty <laughs> pages and think it's stupid. So uh but I want to yeah. throw that out there. I i won't be reading the
1: one. Uh I'm not gonna be didn't, re- re- not even one. And then no, like I said at the beginning, this is not a topic that i'm at all interested in yeah. uh inherently did you hear didn't dan carlin do an episode of uh hardcore history on the the russian aristocracy
0: you know i don't i think he touched on it as a med like, i think as, as a meditation okay. of how much death touched these families like that you know cuz the, uh, yeah, the, yeah. the, the the czar. Loved his wife, like, you know, like, seemed like everyone agrees he loved his wife, and yet there's so many of their children died, and how much, like, Mm -hmm. sadness that that would, like, bring into a house. um, In a way, in in a way that, like, we in the 21st century can't really relate to, like, having 13 children and 11 of them die. Mm -hmm. That's, those are made up facts and figures, but, like, it's similar to that. So, I, I don't think he did a whole episode on it, but I think he did touch on that maybe in the context of the countdown to armageddon i don't know but yeah i remember i remember a little bit about real Romanovs coming out of dan carlin's authoritative mouth um <laughs> so uh moving on to majam says i wonder if the whole Romanov theme cruise was copied from an actual cruise itinerary i know obviously theme cruises exist but this one seems so odd and decadent i'm not sure it would be my cup of tea but it's fun to see an episode and how the Shelley character reacted to all the events as they rolled out Kind of wish you'd followed up on the picture of the Romanoff that looked just like Corey Stoll in the Slattery lecture. <laughs> um, like I said, I deliberately yeah, Jim's looked it up, but I, I'm like, I, I halfway through this episode, I thought about how much research I wanted to do. And I'm like, you know what? I just want to pretend like this is all real. I don't. Okay. I want to uncritically take this Romanoff concept as a fictional concept. Because uh, it's not like I, I knew that I knew enough that like I knew Matthew Weiner wasn't crowing about all the research he did into the Romanov history and how historically accurate it was. Um, but I do think you've got some hope here, Majam, the that they will make something of that. Because again, I know that John Slatter's character comes back for a larger role in a later episode, so it stands a reason there will be other threads that maybe connect all these together. Um, Jamie T. I was watching the first episode, and I loved it. Um, I thought that Eric calling the woman Hagar accidentally by mistake and being raised on Bible stories myself made me pay very close attention to that. Um, Do you know, do you you remember from our our shared mythology, Jim, the character of Hagar? I I remember the name. I don't remember the story. So Hagar was the uh, servant girl or slave girl of Sarah, the wife of Abraham and uh you know Abraham and Sarah were old as shit like in their 90s right. and God told them to make children and uh she decided to uh since they were having trouble let let Abraham use her servant or slave girl uh and uh, they had a son called Ishmael that then they got driven out of the family after uh, Isaac came along but it was kind of i think i think Jamie's to here uh, onto something here about um I mean, I don't think she's I don't think there's like a truly deeper meaning. This is another one of like the set the the circles of hell concept that Matthew Weiner broadly chose to paint an emotional palette with, but like you know there wasn't a literal you know circles of hell and madmen that Don Draper was stuck in um even though people spilt a lot of ink trying to make that that happen. I think it's more of like the concept of a substitute coming along to fulfill like you know this dynasty this Mm -hmm. idea of having to have an heir um so like if you had like you know if you're like jamie or or me and you you heard that do you perk up and you pay a little bit more attention but i don't i don't think it has anything deeper than that though people want to develop that theory send it into tv at baldmove.com. uh final email demick says well watching the first episode i had an uneasy feeling that the characters were all pretty ridiculous but that would make total sense since everything had to be a little bit louder for the story to make an impact once I settled in within the world Wiener, the the world Weiner had built, uh, actually, every character felt so natural. Um, huh. That's something that I kind of felt too. That like I was trying to get at, like how would you express the depths of Don Draper in thirty minutes if you had yeah. to explain him, his relationship to Betty, his relationship with Peggy, the rivalry with Pete his friendship with uh, Roger. Like, how would, you ex- how would you get that in 30 minutes? And that's what Matthew Weiner has to do in every single episode. He has to sketch these characters. You have to know what they're about. You have to know what they want. And you have to know how they'll interplay with each other. Um, or the thing doesn't work. Um, of course, a lot of people are saying it's not exactly working. So, But I still think it's pretty amazing what he's able to do in just like 30, 30 40 minutes. Uh, I do have a minor quibble, which is that I think the whiner we- the has a type uh, when it comes to his female leads. Sophie in episode one and Michelle in episode two can both be body doubles for Jessica Par- Parry. And how can anyone not see <laughs> Megan dancing with the Charles Manson lookalike in season-, season seven, episode five, The Runaways, when Michelle was slinking next to the jukebox? Not to mention, Shelley is basically an even thinner Betty- version of Betty Draper. Uh, <laughs> I mean, w- one of them is... is- kind of a french girl (laughs) yeah no yeah she lives in
1: paris at least for five years
0: like i i I don't i didn't see that they were all i i guess they all look alike and that they're all slim attractive hollywood women right i
1: was gonna say hollywood has a type too
0: Um, I did like sit up a little bit and took notice of Sophie being extremely tall because I noticed she was wearing flat sandals and she was as tall as Aaron Eckert, which I know, I think I remember reading him as being at least six one, maybe six two. So I'm like, damn, that is a tall, tall woman. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, other other than that, I didn't, I didn't recognize them as all being kind of the same other than, like you said, they're, they're leading ladies in Hollywood. So they're all kind of of a type.
1: I don't think. Gary Bichet has much uh, in common, even visually, with January Jones.
0: Mm. I mean, I guess maybe skin tone, but yeah, other than that, because like January Uh, Jones is very much an ice queen Mm -hmm. um, of dubious acting and emoting abilities, and I wouldn't say that about, uh, what'd you say your last name is, Bichet? Bichet. 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 Yeah. Uh, finally, Michael Romanoff is a Pete Campbell type. His entitlement, the weasel like tactic to get laid, the obsession over a casual fling, the inability to scheme, the hair loss. <laughs> I love them all. Yeah. I, he's not wrong. <laughs> I never, yeah. Uh, other than I think Corey Stoll has got that little bit Jeff Goldblum, uh, you know, Adam Driver energy where he's like punching way above his weight. And I'd never say that about Pete Campbell. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. He, uh, you're right. He's got this, like, little mini Pete. Like, I don't know that Pete would kill would have killed somebody, but he definitely raped a woman. hmm So, and, you know, Michael, at his worst, is an attempted murderer.
1: <laughs> That's true. That's true. So,
0: uh, I don't know. I it, it is interesting how, as you said, both of these episodes ended on women breaking away from the Romanov clan and having big smiles on their faces. Do you think that'll be something that Weiner uh, continues with, or is this going to be just a weird artifact of the first two episodes?
1: I don't know. Could Well, I guess we'll see in future
0: weeks. I guess we shall see. Uh, That's all for feedback. That's all for our discussion of the Romanovs. Uh, We'll be back next week, uh, next Monday with the discussion of this third episode. Uh, If you have some feedback you'd like to send in, do so at tv at baldmove.com. Or you can also participate in our threads on our forums, uh, forums forums.baldmove.com, about the Romanovs. That's all we got for this week. Again, uh, we'll see you next time. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya.